Welcome to this week's message from Bio George Christian Church, where we seek to love God and love people. For more information, please contact us on social media at MyBGCC. I encourage you to take a Bible, if you will, and look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And for those of you who are unaware, please know that we have a Bible app. It's simply Bible.com. You can go on your electronic device and you'll find us there. And not only that, you'll find the outline and the scriptures that I'll be referencing throughout this message. Today I wish to actually conclude what I started last week. Last week I began a, a message on positive remarks about a seemingly negative subject. And I told everyone, I said, look... There was so much material that I'd gathered and compiled on this that I knew that I couldn't finish it one Sunday. And so what I said was I'm going to try and break it into two and try and finish it up today. So I'm going to kind of recapture what we talked about last week a little bit, and then I'll, I'll move on into the latter part of this message, which is the conclusion of last week. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Um, there's not a day that goes by that we're not at the risk of life and death. And I just want to kind of refresh your memory on the reality of that. It could be a medical condition you have that you didn't even know you had. I mean, we found that out last week in our own family. It could be an auto accident. It happens every day. A freak accident. It could be if you lived in Florida. Hurricane Michael, or any hurricane that comes our way. Elsa was headed this direction, you know, generally. You name it. Things come our way, and we don't know just how fragile our lives are and how close the reality of life and death can be for us. We just don't know. We don't know when our time will come. And we're a little fearful of that, I do realize, but we don't really know how or do we know when. We're just certain it's going to happen. And so we live with that to a certain degree. And I, I pray, and you pray, I know we pray this, that our death will come with ease. That we don't have to suffer pain or, or tragedy or injury or, uh, how should I say, impairment and disability that would plague us the rest of our lives, so to speak. Because it can come at any time, it can come in any place, it can come anywhere. You turn on CNN or F. Fox News or even your local programming and what do they tell you about? Well, here's what happens today with someone, you know. Um, I just saw near where we used to live that, you know, a guy drove out on a golf course and he shot three people, you know, killed them. You don't know, folks. I mean, it's that simple. And when this occurs, our hearts, they tend to sink to a low level and go, oh my goodness, can you believe that? You know, was it last week or week before last? Right here. A little five-year-old boy that drowned, you know, in the, at the beach. It happens. And why is it we have such a fascination about death? You say, well, I'm not fascinated with death, but we're inquisitive about why it's happening, why it's taking place. As I said last week, every news media station seemingly in the country, they monitor what happens to find out when there's fatalities so they can tell us about it. Surfside, Florida, you know, a building collapses. Wow. You know, you, you just don't know. On any given week, there are people that you know and that I know that are directly related to this congregation, these people right here. Yeah, it was my brother's sister's cousin, <laughs> you know. These kind of things happen. Why is it we become so negative about death? For the Christian, it ought to be something positive. It really ought to be. Because it's important for us to all know that we can face death with confidence. 
knowing that when death comes, there's something greater that awaits. There's a prepared place that Jesus has already made for us. And if we have surrendered our lives to him, then there's that assurance that that will take place. Allow me to share with you some positive remarks about a seemingly negative subject. I want to reread again from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Feel free to follow along with me with your eyes as I read. Look at what it says here. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, that's what we're living in, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. For some reason, we tend to think death is never going to happen. I mean, if you're 20 years old, oh man, I have a whole lifetime ahead of me. And people will tell you that. Kid, you're just so young, you know. You got your whole life ahead of you. But you know... It, it can happen at any time. We think death is never going to occur. And the fear of death can hold us in, in bondage a lifetime. But what Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians, he discusses death from God's viewpoint. It's called the last enemy that we will face. And in this passage, Paul talks about how it will be defeated and what happens when we die. I want you to see some principles from this. And so I shared some last week, and I'm going to follow it with some this week, today. So allow me to review for you just a little bit to kind of refresh your memory for those of you who were here. And for those of you who weren't here, I'll just kind of give you an idea where we're coming from. The first thing he says is that we need to be informed. And so here's the information right here. Understand what happens when you die. Information is always a great antidote to fear. You know, if you're going to do something, if you know what it's going to be like and how it's going to transpire, it's a lot easier for you to grasp what's taking place. So the greater the information, the easier it is to overcome the fear that you face. So it's really helpful to read God's Word and to understand what's going to happen when you die. The body dies. This physical house, they call it a tent, Paul does. It's going to decay. It's going to just simply go back to dust. We know that. But the spirit that's internal in us, it's going to live on forever. You hear people say, it doesn't matter what happens when I die. It's the events that leading up to my death that I'm most concerned about. And you understand that. And so we spend a lot of time worrying about those events leading up to our death. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. In fact, he says, tomorrow has enough worry of its own. 
<laughs> you know, don't dwell on right here on the day. And not even tomorrow. Think about eternity. When death comes in this passage in 2 Corinthians, it tells us there's a sequence of events and how we can be informed about them. First, he talks there's a departure from the body. In other words, the spirit's going to leave the body. When someone dies, you see them in the casket, so to speak. You know that there's no life there. They get cold. They get stiff. There's no life in them. And the spirit has left them. And that's what it is, the departure from the body. This life we live now is like a tent it's described as. But the good news is that with God, we have a building from God. And so that body will remain here. And as I say, decay and go back to dust. So there's a departure from the body. And then secondly, there's the immediate presence with God. As I say, the spirit leaves the body and it's with God. Verse 3 says, when we are clothed, we're not naked. And verse 8 says, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Now, I draw your attention to what I did last week with 1, Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have, are sleep, at sleep and death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So it notices that there are two physical states. You're in the body or you're out of the body. And you're away from the Lord or you're with the Lord. And that's what it describes it as. Today, we're talking about the promises for the Christian, though. What awaits those who know Christ and know him as their Lord and Savior? David could say, I no longer fear evil, for you are with me. Even though he walks through the valley of shadow of death, that's what he said. So there's a departure from the body, and there's the immediate presence with the Father. That will be followed by eventually a glorified body. In other words, that old shell apparently is going to be resurrected from the grave. And there's going to be a new body, a new person. And everyone looks forward to that. Well, I won't have this ugly face I had anymore. It's going to be a new one. And if I have any impairment or any disability, that's going to be completely restored. And I believe that to be true. See, verse 3, but our bodies will be different than what they are here on this earth. Please understand. See where he says, we will not be found naked, but we're going to be clothed. And then as we look on in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, Brothers and sisters, we want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death and grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, when we die, our spirits immediately go to be with God. And that's why as we look on in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, Jesus died and rose again. And he, the same will happen for those who've fallen asleep. In other words, they've died. And those of us who are still alive and left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, who've already died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, the scripture says, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So you who are Christians, when you die, you're going to rise first, according to what it says. And after that, we who are still alive, we're still here, we're, we're living, other people have died, we will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be the Lord forever. And I'll, be, I'll certainly believe there's going to be a transformation of our bodies as well. And you remember this, and I think it'll help you. If God had power enough to create this body, the one that you have, out of you know what there is there, he's going to have no problem recreating your body if you've already died, you know, and you're lying in the grave. So this brings us to the second thought of this sermon that I talked about last week. Not only one, one, number one, be informed, but number two, be hopeful. 
And that's what I finished up with last week. Eagerly anticipate eternal life. It's coming. I just don't know when. But I, I know it's going to take place. And notice how many times in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about anticipating heaven. How he's looking forward to it. Verse 2, he says, we long to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling. In verse 4, we don't want you to be unclothed, but we want you to be clothed. Verse 5, God made us for this very purpose. Verse 8, we would prefer to be away from the body at home with the Lord. Now, Paul, no doubt, he had a stronger, more effective longing for heaven. You know why? Because he'd had a vision of heaven. God had shown that to him. 2 Corinthians 12, 4, he said, I was caught up to paradise, and I heard inexpressible, inexpressible things. Things that man's not permitted to tell, so he couldn't even share that with us. And having seen heaven, he really longed for eternity. Now, the older that you and I get in our Christian life, the more heaven ought to appeal to us. The more we ought to look forward to it. Man, I'm closer today to heaven than I was yesterday. Praise the Lord. And if you picture yourself, now get this, this is you. If you picture yourself as an angel sitting around on a cloud, you know, strumming a, a harp or having a halo, that's not really that appealing. Maybe you think it is. But when you read in the Bible about what eternal life is going to be like, then I think you begin to say, oh, wow, that's really what I want and what I look for. It's like the poet described it like this. The view of heaven that I see is not of angels on the wing, white-robed with harps and golden crowns. I envision little towns with smogless skies and rivers clear and not an airplane you can hear. No dust, no rust, no rats, no rot, no raucous rot or no potent pot, no growing old with weakened sight, no denture slipping when you bite, no bombs, no guns, no courts, no jails, where all succeed and no one fails, no strikes, no layoffs, full employment, everyone with job enjoyment, all tell the truth. State only facts, no wars, no debt, no income tax. Now, wouldn't that be heaven not to have any income tax? And according to this dream of mine, in heaven, no one stands in line. Wow. And there's only smiling faces and lots and lots of parking places. That's what the poet said. And I'll tell you this. Heaven's going to be a permanent place according to what I read. It's going to be a complete revision of what we're accustomed to. But here on earth, we have this tent, and it's going to be destroyed. But he says he's going to come and give us a new permanent building of God, eternal in the heavens. And you know what that means? I'll tell you. I want you to know that means you're not going to be in a hurry. Are you a person who's always in a hurry, trying to get somewhere? I know I am oftentimes. Do you get tired of being in a hurry? You're never having time to do what you want to do? I find that's true with me. You know what the songwriter said? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less day to, to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Heaven's going to be a people place. We're gonna, not going to be isolated in heaven on a cloud sitting there. John said, gathered around the throne of heaven, there's going to be a number of people on that great day that nobody can count. 
So that disputes what some people tell you. That say, well, there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven. i got news for you. If you read the next verse that follows that, it says there's a crowd so large no one can count. <laughs> so it's like people who say, well, you know, I really like the little small church because the small church, you get to know everybody. Well, that's great. And so that's the kind of church they oftentimes attend. You know, my church it got so big and, you know, there were so many people there. Makes you want to say then, well, don't go to heaven because there's going to be a lot of folks there too. It's going to be a small in comparison of the great magnitude and population of the earth, but there's going to be lots of people in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people, and heaven's going to be a perfect place. The Bible says there will be no more pain, and there will be no more sorrow, and no more crying, and no more death. So the former things are passed away, and he's made all things, guess what, new. Billy Graham said, that when his grandmother died, she looked up and said, I see Jesus. And then she said, there's Ben. And he's got two legs and two eyes. Billy Graham says his grandfather had lost a leg during the war. And he lost his eyesight before his grandmother passed on. And there, Billy Graham's mother said, there's Ben. He's got two eyes. He's got two legs. In heaven, there'll be two eyes and there'll be two legs. And think of the loved ones that you know that are going to be made complete in heaven. I look forward to seeing many people that I have left in this life. You know, they died. They preceded me in death. And I look forward with great anticipation to be able to see them again and know now that they are complete because of some illness or some tragedy that happened in their lives. Heaven's going to be a people place. It's going to be a place of perfection. Have you ever been to the airport and you see how people are reunited when they get off of the plane? You know, they come out of there, you know, some people have a sign up that says, you know, Jones, right here, Jones, come here. You know, and they, they embrace. It's like they've not seen one another in years, and they may not have. And they just think, this is so good to be able to see you. I've so looked look forward and anticipated your arrival. And that's the kind of thing that's going to happen in heaven, my friends. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven? Can you imagine what it's like, going to be like in Resurrection Day when people have loved each other, husbands and wives, grandparents and children, and they haven't seen each other for years, and they just embrace, and they shed tears, and God's going to wipe those tears away from their eyes. We're going to be able to recognize one another in heaven. I don't know that we'll know one another that that's who that is and that's who this is, but we're going to see one another and we're going to say, wow, it's so good. The Bible says we're going to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and talk about the kingdom. And if I change so much when my body's glorified that you don't recognize me, I'll tell you who I am because I want you to know that I'm there. You know, because I think you'll be able to say, well, hey, there's John, and there's Thomas, and there's Hank. I didn't really think he was going to make it there, but, you know, there's going to be peace about that, and you're going to rejoice. And so you want to know and you want to anticipate heaven, and you want to be prepared for it, a place of praise. Jesus said when he instituted the Last Supper, communion, the Lord's Supper, he says, we're not going to eat this again together until we eat it anew in my Father's kingdom. And so the only first things that we're going to experience to do in heaven is going to be a giant worship service. It's going to be all praise to God. The Lord Jesus is going to be presiding at the Father's right hand, and we're going to be able to see him, Jesus our Lord, face to face. That's going to be so cool. It is. Don't you just want to see Jesus smile? Don't you want to just see him laugh? Don't you? 
And we're going to be able to praise Him at that very moment in heaven and sing like we've never sung before. Those of you who sing off key, you'll be on key. Those of you who can't sing, you will sing. And we'll sing like we've never sung. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Those are the kind of things we'll want to sing. And then the Lord will speak to us. He'll say, come on. We're going to have the supper that I told you about a long, long time ago. This is my body and this is my blood. Let's take and eat and let's remember what you've been doing for all these many years. And when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and we'll shout victory. Be informed. Be hopeful. And this last principle I want to share with you is be confident. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Be confident of your salvation in Christ because it is assured. It's promised. Look back over 2 Corinthians 5 and notice how assured Paul is of his own salvation. Look at verse 5 where he says, He's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit. In other words, the down payment's been made through the Holy Spirit for us. It's going to be like at a local stadium in a game. And the tickets are sold out. And you're wondering about a seat. Jesus said, I got your ticket. There is a seat for you. It's been prepared since the beginning of the world. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, a deposit guaranteeing that we've got a place prepared for us in heaven. Verse 6 says, therefore be confident that we know this. Verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. What I see is only temporary. But what I don't see, that's what's going to be eternal. Verse 8, we're confident and would prefer to be away from the body in order to be at home with the Lord. I talk to a lot of Christians that are confident. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to heaven. But I talk to some Christians who say, well, I hope so. What? You hope so? It's like you're not sure? You don't think you're going to make it? How are you living? Are you living such that you're not sure about that? God's already promised it. You need to be confident. There's probably three reasons that maybe people aren't confident about their salvation. Number one, maybe you've never really become a Christian. And that's critical. Because just because you grew up in a church or just because grandma went to church doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. I talk to people that assume that they're a Christian because they had Christian parents. Or they went to a church. Or maybe even though they were born in America. Well, I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. I'm sorry. It's founded as a Christian nation, but it doesn't make you a Christian. Being born in America doesn't guarantee you're a Christian. Corey Ten Boom said, a mouse in a cookie jar is not a cookie. Think about it, you know. And just because you go to church doesn't mean you are a Christian. Believe it or not, there are some people that are in church that may not make it to heaven. Maybe because of decisions and choices they've had. Keith Green said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore and going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. A person who's a Christian, Keith Green would say, is a person who is bananas over Jesus. They love him with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. So if you've never ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and had him forgive your sins and give you the promise of eternal life, you need to make sure that you do that. You do that by repenting of your sin, saying, I know that I've done wrong. Confessing publicly, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of the living God, and surrendering your life to Jesus as Lord and believing in him enough that you will commit to him through baptism, having your sins washed away. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So it takes a, a mental transformation, a, a literal heart transformation, and a physical outward action of commitment through baptism. Mark 16, 16 says, he that believes and is baptized will shall be saved. If you're not confident of your salvation, if it's because you've never become a Christian, you've never confessed him publicly, you've never been baptized into him, maybe God is using that lack of confidence to motivate you to respond to Christ today. Let me tell you a second reason that people oftentimes don't think that they've got the eternal life and the security of that. And that is because they're not confident because they've not had a dramatic conversion experience. Can I tell you something? We kind of stereotype in our minds as to what you're supposed to experience when you become a Christian. In other words, the standard that we choose out of the Bible is not necessarily Apostle Paul. You might recall Paul was living a very diametrically opposed life to Christianity. In other words, he held the cloaks of those who would execute Christians. He was consenting to seeing Christians put to death. But something happened to him. He was struck by a light, a bright light that blinded him, and scales grew over his eyes and he's, to the extent he couldn't see, and he had to be led away. And so a dramatic experience, the scales fell from his eyes, and his life was changed because there was no mistaking that the Lord had spoken to him. He said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am the Lord your God, whom you are persecuting. And so a dramatic change took place in Paul's life. So we think maybe that's what's got to happen with us. And we say, well, that never happened to me when I became a Christian, you know. Someone has said, I was nine years old and I grew up in a Christian home. I went forward because I knew Christ had died for me and I was baptized. And there was no electric shock. There were no bright lights from heaven. There was no dramatic reversal in my life because I wasn't on drugs or something. So I wonder if I'm converted. I wonder if I'm really a Christian. I wonder if I'm really saved. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is there a standardized emotional experience that you're supposed to have when you become a Christian. But I see various ones that occur. And that's going to vary according to your age and your background and your temperament and the setting to which you respond to Christ. You see, the legitimacy of a birth is not determined by the circumstances that surround it by the life that's produced. We have, my wife and I, three children. Each, actually, each one of them were different. They still are different. The first child, my wife was induced. She was induced each day for seven days. They started 7 a.m. in the morning, and her induction went till 7 p.m. in the evening. No meals, nothing. You know, take this drip. Maybe you can have a baby. And she was forced into labor basically for 84 hours, you know, for a week. They said, if the baby doesn't come, by the end of the week, we're going to take the baby because we feel like it's necessary. Not to mention, you know, she was being induced. There was all kinds of tension. I was managing something through the Youth Ministry Ministers Association, 
And I was at Six Flags over Georgia accepting cash for tickets and payments for tickets as we were having a Christian weekend. My wife's laying in the hospital about to have a baby. Where are you? Well, I got to collect this money because I was there. Well, there was all kind of tension. And finally, we got to labor and delivery, she and I, and she had a long-haired little girl. You know, I got to deliver the child, literally. The doctor said, what do you want to do? I said, anything that you'll let me do. And there was joy, and there were tears, and there was excitement. And about three years later, our second child came along. And she was relatively quick, and there she was. You know, and our third child, we had fetal distress. We kept losing his heartbeat. And so they did that by a cesarean section. I had the video camera ready, everything ready to go. And he, they were switched off and taken to surgery in a few minutes. They brought him out in the hallway, and I met him. We went to the hospital under similar circumstances. Induction was began, and in just a matter of moments, a new little mug burst onto the scene at a much more rapid pace. Really, there was nothing to it. Well, yeah, that's what you say. There was a lot to it for her. But at last, we were just glad that they were all alive and well. From my perspective, it wasn't that big a deal. But a little hairy brunette... A little chunky little blonde and a boy, and in just a matter of days, we're all home. It was, needless to say, the greatest experience of life. But it would be silly, really silly, if the youngest would hear me tell this story and say, well, you know, was I really born? Am I really legitimately your child because it was different from the others? Well, it didn't happen to me. I wonder if I really was born. Am I really alive? I wonder if I'm really a part of the Milton family. Well, that would be ludicrous. You see, the legitimacy of birth is not determined by the circumstances that surround it, but by the life that is produced. And the same is true with your Christian experience. God says, confess me with your mouth. Be baptized into me, and I will grant you eternal life. It's his grace that covers us. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him as your Savior? Have you been baptized into him? Then claim this promise and believe this promise because God doesn't tell a lie. He wants you to have confidence in his word. And then the last reason I think people may not be confident of their salvation is because here's what's happened. They have sinned since they became a Christian. Well, let me tell you something. Join the club. We've all sinned since we became a Christian. We were confident on the day we surrendered our life to Christ and we felt so good, but we've sinned since that time. And sometimes we've blown it pretty badly and you don't feel confident in it anymore. May I tell you that Christ died for all your sins, past, present, and future. And so he's forgiven you of those sins. He died on the cross for that. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am an imperfect father, but I love my children, and they're part of my family, even though I'm imperfect. When they started to walk, they fell down. When they started to eat, they got food all over the place. But despite the things that I don't like and the times that they will fall in their life, they are still part of the family. Let me tell you something. God's a lot better father than I am. He knows you've blown it since you were adopted into his family. But he reaches out his arms to you to forgive you and to include you and to allow you to grow. 
Don't you love the phrase from the song, it is well with my soul? It says this. It says, our sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Our sin, not in part, but guess what? In the whole. Not just did, did what I did before I became a Christian, but the whole. Even though I've sinned since I've committed my life to Christ, it's been nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Let me close this out with you like this. There you have it from last week. To be informed, to be hopeful, and to be for today to be confident. Here's the bottom line. Here's where you're going to sign the dotted line in your life. Death will forever be about us. Positive remarks about a seemingly negative subject, good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, you know where you stand before God. You know if you've committed your life to Him. You know if you're in a saved relationship. Are you confident of where you'll spend eternity? You can be confident. You can be assured that God's given you eternal life if your focus is on Him and you commit your way to His way. Why don't you start today by what I've expressed to you so far to just recognize that you must believe. You must repent of your sins. You must confess Jesus as Lord and you must be baptized into him. And then you walk in obedience to him. Doesn't mean you won't fail. It doesn't mean you won't fall. It just means that you pledge yourself to him and you continue to renew that relationship. Lord, yes, I've muffed up again. Please forgive me and help me not to do that again. You know, Paul talks about if we continue in sin so that grace may abound. In other words, keep doing the same thing over and over and over. We've not really repented of it. We've not really sought to change our life. And so that's significant. And that's where we as Christian brothers and sisters seek to hold one another accountable. Hey, are you living right? Can I pray for you? Can I help you? Can I, can I give you the pat on the back that you need at this point in your life? I've been there too, buddy. I've been there too, sister. Let's do this together. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and will be with us again. As always, you can check with us online at our website and social media at MyBGCC to learn about events and let us connect with you.